Welcome to this episode of Opera After Dark. <laughs> I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. Who, who doesn't want to identify herself. I don't. And oh. today, in case you hadn't guessed, we are A, inebriated, <laughs> and B, talking about Tchaikovsky. Indeed. We are going to talk about Tchaikovsky. I feel like we're a special kind of tequila drunk tonight. Yes. We are. We had tacos for dinner, so... Tequila's a natural pairing. Yes. Margaritas. Good, good margaritas by Elspeth. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We're, well, <laughs> we're kind of, we're, it seems as though we're going to need it. Mm-hmm. Because from what I've heard, I don't know much about it, but it sounds like Tchaikovsky had a depressing lifetime. So it's not great. Um, I feel like it's, this is a bit of a departure for us because it's not a super scandalous story. It's actually a pretty sad one. Mm-hmm. Um, but... <laughs> is this going to be like the end of the Schumann, the first Schumann episode where I was like, okay, but where's the scandal? It's worse. Because it's much sad. It's much more sad. No. Oh, like, but it's nobody like... dies of syphilis. <laughs> what? It's like the first We're time. Like, moved past syphilis into cholera, oh. which is like... Killing everybody. Mm-hmm. But this is, it is an opera after dark because the, one of the tidbits that I know about Tchaikovsky is that he was gay, right? Tchaikovsky was gay. Tchaikovsky mm-hmm. was gay in a time when being gay was not approved Not approved by, not society. Approved by society, which you know is Russia currently, so I guess it's not that different. <laughs> That's true. We have not come far. We have not come far. But it was something that in his lifetime, for most of his lifetime, was under the radar, all of his life, right? All of his life was under the radar. Like, those closest to him knew about it, but because it would bring shame and possible trouble to his family and mm. friends, he really deliberately tried to create the facade of a normal life. Mm-hmm. Normal heterosexual life, I should say. Right. We'll get into that. So, I'll talk a little bit about his early life and how he came to start writing music, because he's one of my favorite composers, and then Naomi's going to talk a little bit about um, two of the... Women, yes, in his life, very important in his life. There were yes. two. There were two. Um, yeah. They serve different functions. <laughs> very different functions. Oh my god, this is gonna be awful. I know. Okay. Gosh, this is like one time that I wish that I wasn't drunk because I. Are you a drunker? Maybe. I mean, would you like to make more margaritas uh, while I go through this biographical information? I'm so sorry that my phone just passed. <laughs> no, it's fine. You should go ahead. Okay. All right. So, Tchaikovsky, Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky, was born in May of 1840 um, in a little town called Vatya, which is in Russia. He was the second eldest of his parents' six surviving offspring. I don't know how many kids they Mm. had or attempted to have. It's like the 19th century, so let's say like 40, and then (laughs) 34 of them died, and there are six. Like a a general lack of birth control in that that They're all like Russian Orthodox. Nobody was on birth control. Is that part of Russian Orthodoxy? Well, that's like Catholicism. Generally, yeah. So both of those sects set with a T generally don't (laughs) use birth control, or... Well, Catholics don't use birth control. Exactly. That's what I don't... Yeah. But, like, you... And also, the 19th century, who had birth control? Exactly. Okay. And then combine that with, like, 
all of the unsanitary conditions that women are giving birth in and like high mortality rate mm-hmm. for infants, you know, all kinds of diseases that you can catch and okay. not great medical conditions. <laughs> this so. is already so yeah. terrible. So what you're <laughs> So what you're saying is that it, it's lucky that uh Piotra is was alive period. Period. Exactly. He already defied odds just right. by living. Mhm. So his mom was a housewife and his dad was a mine inspector and he was a metalworks manager. Hmm. Um, even though they really wanted Tchaikovsky to go into the civil service, they did sort of encourage his early passion for music. Um, he was five. He started playing the piano. Um, at the age of 10, he began attending the Imperial School of Jurisprudence, which is a boarding <laughs> school in St. Petersburg. So he, um, he was there until about the age of 14 where he had to come back home because his mother, whose name was Alexandra, died of cholera when he was 14. Mm. So you meant literally people I were literally dying. meant people are dying left and right of cholera. In fact, he died of cholera. Oh, he did? Allegedly. Allegedly. We can get well, into that. It's good. also not great. How do you contract cholera? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know if it was one that was like one of those... Sexually transmitted diseases. I don't diseases. think cholera is a sexually transmitted disease. Is it through disease. the food? I think it's there. Ugh, a uh, largely through water. I think. Really. I think water has to do with it. <laughs> we'll need to do some research into diseases because. Yes, um, there's a picture of a dude drinking water out of his hands in a river. Um, it says drinking contaminated water can be a cause. It's a bacterial disease causing severe diarrhea and dehydration, usually spread in water. Oh. So right, yeah. it's extremely rare in this day and age. Is there any off chance that either of you know was that something that was like worldwide at that time, or was that Russia specific? Who knows? Outside of my expertise. Good thing I mean, that, why good are you thing, asking these? Uh, you're right. Good thing that everybody listening has access to Google. They'll mm-hmm. figure it out. I'm looking up the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi, you take over for a second. Okay, so. <laughs> Tchaikovsky goes to the School of Jurisprudence mm-hmm. to become a civil servant. Such a fun name. Jurisprudence. <laughs> Jurisprudence. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah, he honors his parents' wishes mm-hmm. and he joins the civil service, which is what they wanted for him. Mm-hmm. But then he also wants to compose and he is interested in musical things. And so he starts to do that kind of on the side while he's working as a civil servant. Mm. And... It's also important to note that at this time, there's another group in Russia called the Mighty Handful or the Mighty Five. Mm-hmm. And mm. so it's five Russian composers that were very, very dedicated to capturing through music a kind of national identity for Russia. And they were uh, Rimsky Korsakov, who was one of the kind of fathers of the group, also Miley Balakirev, who was very much a part of founding the group. And Modas Mazorsky, Cesar Q, or Qui, I can never remember how to pronounce it. <laughs> no one remembers it. that poor no guy. Uh, Qui. I like Qui. Qui, and Alexander Borodin, mm. right? And so, who, if you saw Prince Igor, was written by Borodin. Oh, yeah. okay. Do you have a favorite? A favorite? Mazorsky. L, maybe Rimsky Korsakov. I was going to say, yeah. I, I don't... Tchaikovsky's my favorite. I don't... Well, he's well, not, he's not part of the five. five. Well, whatever. The five. Fast five. <laughs> I don't know all um, of them, but I, I do know some music by Rimsky Korsakov, and it is Shaharazad. Good. It's really nice. Amazing. 
Do you want to play a clip of that? Yes, Let's please. make this a clip-heavy episode, because it's going to be super depressing. <laughs> All right. We'll be depressed, but we'll be listening to beautiful, beautiful music. That, well, we should just address it. Go that's, for it. that's lovely. Of course. Lovely it's, music. It's banging. It's banging. And I'm sorry, what was that? It or? is the opening movement of Shahrazad. Shahrazad. Shahrazad by Rimsky Korsakov, which tells the story of the Arabian Nights and Sinbad, etc., mm. etc., through music. Okay. Which is a super, super popular thing at that time through the 1920s. There's another piece by Ravel mm-hmm. um, called Shahrazad, which is also 
Amazing for Mess Brando and Orchestra. So we have the Mighty Five, or as I like to say, the, the Fast, Fast Five. five. <laughs> Fast Five. Um, so he so is, this is going on at this time. It's right. going on at this time. The Mighty Five don't give themselves this name. One of their like critic writer friends gives them this name, mm. and Tchaikovsky knew them all. He came in contact with them all, but he was never really considered part of that group. Largely because he studied at a formal conservatory after he went through for jurisprudence. Mm -hmm. He then goes back to school, goes to real conservatory, and he gets in contact with Western models and Western European structures. And then his goal is really to fuse Western European styles with Russian music and a unique Russian sound. Whereas the Mighty Five were trying to reject Russian models and kind of recreate or create from scratch. A Russian sound. Mm -hmm. In a Wait, nutshell. so reject Russian models or reject Western? Reject Western European models. Okay. Yeah. So Tchaikovsky is trying to bring the two together, and that's why he's never really considered part. That's a very uh, unnuanced explanation of why he's never really good. considered part of the group. Um, fun fact that he um, enrolled at the St. Petersburg Conservatory, which is new at that time, and he was the school's first composition student. Period. Wow. Period. Who was so, his teacher? I don't know, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to know everything. Well, I think it was Rubenstein was one of his teachers. Sure. I'm just Rubenstein. assuming, like, if you're going to start a whole conservatory with a certain teacher, you know, I guess there are many teachers, but yeah. if you're going to be the first teacher, you're probably pretty good. I guess. He studied uh. harmony and <laughs> counterpoint with Zoremba. And instrumental and composition with Rubenstein. Okay, okay. so wow, that's great that you have that in your it's recall. It's at your fingertips. Um, so no, he, I have my uses. Oh my God. <laughs> so in 1863, yeah. after he graduated, he moved to Moscow and he became a professor of harmony at the Moscow Conservatory. Mm. Uh, his first work was publicly performed in 1865. Um, it was a piece called Characteristic Dances, I Am Drunk. Um, and it was conducted... Interesting name. Interesting, Interesting drunk. Name. I'm, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But fun fact, it was conducted by Johann Strauss Jr., oh. who wrote Die Fledermaus. Die Fledermaus, yeah. The son of the Waltz King. The son of the Waltz King. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And that was in, did it have its premiere in Russia, presumably? Mm -hmm. In Moscow in mm -hmm. 1865. Um, in 1868, his first symphony was performed, and it was well-received. That was also in Moscow. How, he also... What are his ahead. dates? So that was, it's like the 1860s, so... Um, he was born in 1840, and he died in 1893. Oh, mm -hmm. so he's still pretty young when he's in his 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. works being performed. Well, that's good. Um, and the crazy thing about Tchaikovsky, I mean, he didn't only write operas. He wrote, you know, ballets, which are super famous, and orchestral pieces. But he wrote over 169 works of music wow. in his lifetime. We said that it was going to be clip-heavy. Should we just drop one in right here? Let's drop in some, like... A ballet? Want, some Swan Lake. Swan Lake, obviously. Durr. <laughs> Let's do it.
So he was obviously incredibly prolific in his life. He wrote a lot of incredible music, but we want to talk a little bit more about his personal life. Yeah. Um, Naomi, do you want to can I jump in here? Yeah. Can I ask really quick? Hopefully this isn't too out there as a question. Where in his life and where in his output did the Nutcracker come? Can we know? Is that early, late? I could the be Nutcracker. totally mis remembering but i thought the nutcracker was, is the year before he died it was in 1892 oh okay yeah very late and it, wow save the best for last i and think then, it premiered when it made its world premiere with iolanta didn't it yes it yes. did isn't that weird it was like That's a weird pairing really strange mm -hmm. a weird and incredibly long evening like i guess like three acts then because iolanta is all about like a girl who's blind but doesn't know that she's blind yeah. Right, who then right. gains sight through the magical power of Lerve. <laughs> yes. so no, that's it's because she really wants it. She really wants oh, it. So okay. then she okay. can okay. become... Right. But the Nutcracker is like three hours. So I'm saying it's a long Is it? Isn't it? No. It's like two hours. I think it's two hours-ish. I think like, if you just go and watch the Nutcracker, it's like two hour-long sections. Chums. I don't even know if they're acts, but sections. And then Yolanta... Well, it's still long because Yolanta is like nearly an hour and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that you're right. It's a long evening. But, but they make the premiere together. Interesting. Yeah. But before any of that happens. Yeah, yeah. We can get into the life, the like life and times. A whole lot of emotional turmoil happens in Tchaikovsky's life. So we touched upon how he really tried to create the facade of a normal heterosexual life in order to possibly in order to protect himself and his family, etc. Mm -hmm. And so, and we also touched upon how he worked as a teacher at the conservatory. Mm -hmm. And so, he actually, um, there is one woman that he became infatuated with, Desiree Artaud. Um, They were infatuated with each other and engaged to be married, but then she apparently refused to give up her... Uh, budding stage career in Western Europe to go resettle in Russia. And so mm -hmm. that kind of put an abrupt end to that relationship. That was in and around 1868. And then Tchaikovsky would later claim that she was the only woman that he ever truly loved. But he would go on to marry somebody else. And so in 1877, uh, he was 37 years old. He actually married a former student of his, Antonina mm. Milikyova. So let's talk about that for a little bit. So yes. at this time, um, there's a super popular novel told um, entirely in rhyme by Pushkin called Eugenia Yegin, mm -hmm. which Tchaikovsky fell in love with and was like, I'm writing this to music. He um, identified really closely with the uh, female protagonist, Titania. Mm -hmm. um, anybody that doesn't know that opera, what happens is there's this girl, Titania, she sort of lives in the country with her family and she meets this very urbane man who comes from the city named Eugenia Nyegin. She falls immediately in love with him and she has this huge scene where she pours out her feelings in this really long 12-minute letter because that's how long the scene is. Um, <laughs> and she delivers it to him and he's like, oh, little girl, that's really sweet. But he's like, like I'm not interested in marriage. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just then, not that into you. All this crazy shit happens, and he murders his best friend in a duel, and all the misunderstandings, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. So, like, years I did later. I not know that. You've never seen this? Opera? I haven't seen it. No. Oh, I mean, I've seen, so like, 
great. Parts, but I haven't it seen it. It was a contender on my favorite operas list. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, so, like, wow. he comes back from wandering in, I don't know, Siberia. St. Um, Petersburg, he's like... <laughs> <laughs> So Siberia, St. Petersburg. He's traveling. He comes back. He comes back to St. Petersburg. Yeah. Um, and since he's, have you heard? Oh, Eugene Onegin is, is in St. Petersburg. That's coming to Broadway. I see. Yeah, I know. Um, right. Anyway, please forget it. So <laughs> he's in St. Petersburg. He meets with the prince because Onegin is a noble, and the prince is like, "Oh, you've got to meet my wife." She's super awesome. She's like 30 years younger than me. She's great. I love her. And he turns around to get introduced, and it's Titanian. She's married the prince. She's the princess now. Uh, and suddenly, Onyegin sees her, and he's like, shit. <laughs> I love you. So he writes her a letter in turn and was like, I made a really big mistake. I need to meet you. And she never stopped loving him. Uh-huh. So you have this huge, really climactic scene at the end of the opera. And it's so good where he's like, I'm so sorry. I love you. And she's like, why are you saying this to me? You just want to have an affair with the princess because it'll make you more popular with all your friends. And he's like, no, I love you forever. And she's like, shit, I still love you. And they make out. And then she's like, I'm married now. Um... I'm loyal to my husband. He's a good man. You got to get out of here. And then she just like leaves him and then he's in despair and that's how it ends. Also, that make out wasn't that great. No, oh, she's, actually... in, she's into it. Oh, she's into she it. is. It's pretty great. In the Met production, so they meet outside and it's snowing and they're all in their furs <clears throat> or whatever. And then um, she sings this big high note and then she like, she directly goes to him, like grabs him and they like hot make out. There's no music for like 10 seconds. She pushes him away. Then she just walks out, <gasps> and then he sings like nah, nah. I don't know what the words are. Nah, yeah. nah, nah. And then the curtain like comes crushing down. That's it the is, end. That's the end. It is the best scene mm. in all of opera history. It's I so think, especially with great Netrebko and Kavichin singing it in that production. It's like my ultimate favorite opera scene. You go and listen to the whole thing. It's about yeah. ten or fifteen minutes long. I'm not sure. It's so yeah. good. Where is that? If it's not accessible on YouTube or anything else, you could always subscribe to like Met Player or something like that. Yeah, the whole Watch thing the whole, about Met Player. The whole yeah. dang thing. It's you will not regret it.
That's really beautiful. I mean, the, the vocal line is fantastic, but also the orchestration underneath is just There's mm -hmm. all kinds of light motifs, too, going on. I need to see could, this. You I need should. To just we can do an entire episode on Yangin, just like some of the greatest operas in the world. It's one of the few things that dramatically really grips me from the very beginning. I couldn't tell you why, but I like really. You're all about that. Pushkin. And it is, Pushkin. like, the Pushkin source material is super long, and so Tchaikovsky it's really doesn't dry. <laughs> actually set the whole thing. No. He just picks out scenes from it, and then his theory is, like, everyone in Russia that's going to see this will know it, so they'll know huh. what happens in between. It's like Pushkin's greatest hits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the novel Yagen is very hits. long, and it is mm -hmm. very, very dry. I've tried oh, yeah. reading it, and it's not easy. But linking this back mm -hmm. to... So Tchaikovsky, life. very obsessed with this novel, mm -hmm. super popular at the time, Fifty Shades of Grey level. Oh, popular! People are really into this book. Yeah, um, like from a, like they get their. No, you know, just like that level of. <laughs> let's say Harry it Potter. It sells day. well. It okay. sells well. Harry yeah. Potter. I was gonna say right. Fifty Shades has its whole connotation, you know. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. People are like really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. No. So they're just enjoying it. Like, it's it's nice. Right. Regular enjoyment. Regular, okay. non-sexual okay. enjoyment. It was Harry Potter. Right, okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so... Didn't you tell me, Naomi, that it was released as a, a periodical? Like it, a, it was released in, like, a series over time. Okay. Over, So, like, you know, part one, part two, part three. Huh. Yeah. It's long. Yeah, it's quite long. Interesting. And it rhymes. That's it's in, also it's fun. It's poetic verse. I love a good rhyme. You know? All like four volumes of rhyme. Yeah, it's like four hundred pages of rhyme. I mean, don't try reading. <laughs> if it makes sense, I'm okay with it. Well, I don't speak Russian or read Russian. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I've only yeah, read sure. the English translation. Maybe yeah. the English translation was bad. I don't Does know. Does the English but... translation rhyme? Yes. See, that's probably why it's bad because they're Maybe, like trying know. to find words that don't normally rhyme and then make them rhyme. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. We digress. Okay. In in any case. Okay. Nice. So, so he has this really strong emotional attachment to Tatiana or Tatania. And so when, he, so his student, his former student, Tchaikovsky, Antonina Milikiova, mm -hmm. she ends up writing him a letter saying, I'm incredibly obsessed with you. If you I don't marry you. me, yeah. I love you. If you don't marry me, I'm just going to kill myself. He wrote that letter? No, she wrote it to she him. Wrote oh, jeez. To him. She was his former student and she... Yeah. And like, and in and the so meantime, he's like, how do I... Make people believe I'm not gay. Partly that, oh, but that made me uncomfortable. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's just snipping out. So he receives this letter from her, and he, because he's so involved emotionally in Tatiana's story, he he thinks to himself, or later he says that he thinks to himself, "I don't want to be cruel to her in the same way that Onyegin is so cruel to Tatiana." Hmm. So I married. Her. So he marries her. But apparently nice. he like sits her down and it's has a conversation nice. with her saying like, if I marry you, you and I can live as brother and sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, oh. And yeah. so she initially is like, yes, whatever you like, right, I guess. And then right. after they get married, after a couple of days, she's like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. I did not sign up for this. So within like a couple of weeks of them actually getting married, he um, had a nervous breakdown. Because mm -hmm. he couldn't handle the lie, I guess, hmm. or the pressures of, of having her as the wife when he That's tried. That's fair. That would be... It would be horrible. Yeah, yeah no, it would be difficult. horrible. So yeah. he tried to commit suicide. 
And when that didn't work, he fled the country. He tried to get... I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, and he abandoned her. However, he never divorced her. Right. He probably, they probably couldn't get divorced. Probably not. Yeah. But he lived in a... Apparently, one source that I read said that she, like, would follow him from that point onward, like, just kind of appearing wherever he was at different points, trying to, like, win back his affection or mm. repair things. But she just made him a nervous wreck all the time. Mm-hmm. And he lived in constant fear from that point onward that she had discovered his secret and was going to, like, reveal his secret. So she had this... He thought she had this knowledge about her about him hmm. that could ruin him. And so it was constantly plaguing him from that point onward. This is really random, but... So she was his music student, right? Yeah. Yes. Do we know? Did she ever have any kind of output? Not that we I don't think so. ever no, read about. Okay. Okay, but amidst all of this turmoil, so he marries her. He's already started to write Eugene, Eugene O'Neagan by the time he marries her. Mm-hmm. Then he flees the country to Switzerland and also to Italy. And while he's in Switzerland and Italy, he writes more of Eugene O'Neagan and then comes back and it gets premiered at the Moscow Conservatory and it does pretty well. Mm. And But throughout this entire time, he is also like the bestest of bestie friends. <laughs> With huh? Nadezka von Meck. Nadezka. Oh, uh, is this uh, his, like, uh, sh- like I don't want to say sugar mama, but like his patron? Yeah. Both? Yeah. Yeah. And his, the greatest pen pal to ever live, basically. Mm. So, just love by that the way, name. Before, <laughs> before you're impressed, I only know this because I heard <laughs> Naomi uh, lecture on it a few days ago. <laughs> right? That's the only... My my knowledge comes straight from Naomi. So he is writing many, many letters to Nadezka von Meck. She starts supporting him as a patron because she just hears his music somewhere. She really likes it. Mm. She believes in him as a composer. Mm-hmm. She's like, I want to fund you so that you don't have to work or worry about money and you can just compose. And he's like, great. That sounds wonderful. And he starts writing her more letters. And she was the widow of a railroad tycoon. So that's how she came into nice. all that money. Got that railroad and money. Exactly. Industrial Revolution much. Mm-hmm. And so then she starts funding him. They write all these letters, and the letters exist still today. And so and they've been translated into English, and so we see like this amazing relationship where the two of them are just brutally honest with each other in a mm. completely platonic way. To the point, they relied so much on this friendship that they actually arranged a marriage between one of her children and one of Tchaikovsky's like nieces or nephews mm. and but they never ever met in person and so they actually discussed this in their letters how they felt it was best if he did not attend the wedding so that they could you know not spoil their beautiful written relationship by meeting in person wow that's mm. so funny because it's like a pretty romantic notion for a very platonic relationship right oh totally right hmm. So then later on in his life, so this support goes on for quite some time, and then Nadezka von Meck kind of cuts off all funding and communication with him pretty cold. Do we know why? People theorize that around this time, it's towards the end of Tchaikovsky's life, and so they think that rumors of his homosexuality was getting around and that her family was putting pressure on her to cut ties with him because it would reflect badly on them if mm. they were connected. That's pure like speculation at this point. But then 
she dies and her children say that right before she dies, she makes an effort to make amends with Tchaikovsky and like patch things up. And they do apparently, you know, make up before she dies. And then not long afterwards, Tchaikovsky himself passes away. I think like within a year of the two mm. of them pass away. And so, and that's also around the time that he's writing, I think it's the sixth symphony or the fourth symphony. And it's the symphony that's supposed to be like programmatically an expression of his life. And so this ties in with our like fake cholera uh, right. diagnosis where... What? Hold your forces. So basically what happens is Tchaikovsky writes this amazing symphony that's supposed to be this like coded message about his most personal intimate feelings. And then the story kind of goes that his friends were like, dude... Everyone knows that you're homosexual. The only way to save your family and save everyone you love from absolute, complete ruin and torture and imprisonment and all kinds of horrible things is to just kill yourself. And so this Uh. is the rumor, the kind of prevailing theory is that pressure from all of his like closest friends in the social circle that his homosexuality was going to cause issues for them led to him committing suicide. And then the official doctor's diagnosis when they found his dead body was that he died of cholera complications so we don't know we don't know for sure that's horrible i know it's a it's super sad especially sad when you say it's like his friends and social circle well they were the only ones who knew about it i guess you should probably kill yourself that sucks i mean maybe he maybe they just said to him, like, this is a huge problem. You have to do something to cover it up. And maybe he came to the conclusion that that was the only answer. Is that, so are you saying he wrote this symphonic work knowing that afterwards he would end his own life? Maybe. Many people think so. Oh, gosh. That's like, that's unsettling. Do we want to take a listen to? I think Movement 2 is just the most beautiful thing ever written. So I think we should listen to it. Do you know what part of his life movement two is supposed to correspond with? I'd have to look it up. There's he. We only know this about that symphony because he talks about the conception of it in his letters to Nadezhda von Meck. Mm. So it's never something that he published or ever really intended the public to know about. But we know now because people are obsessed with his music and want to know everything they possibly can about it. I wonder if he had any factual relationships in his life he did he did well we think that he had a relationship this is super weird too with like his younger nephew and so the nephew that was like significantly younger than him i think what's significant like besides the fact they're related i was gonna say nephew age it's like a full generation really yeah yeah his name was davidov i think or david and so the story goes that they had this romantic liaison relationship when Davidov was like a teenager in kind of like an experimental stage. Mm. And then and then Davidov like very abruptly cut things off with his uncle and was like, I'm not speaking to you anymore and I'm not communicating with you anymore. And so there are letters that exist between Tchaikovsky and Davidov. There's one really sad one where Tchaikovsky's like, please just spit onto a piece of paper and mail it to me so that I know you're alive because this is torturous, like, what you're putting me through. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's sad. It's incredibly sad. So, yeah. Gosh. Do you remember when we spent an entire episode talking about poop? (laughs) (laughs) 
And dude, that was much lighter. Much lighter and so Wasn't that better. fun? That was. But this I feel like this is an important story to yeah. tell. His music you know? is so incredibly beautiful. It's important. And it's very important. And so and I feel like it's important from like a socio political. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of like uh, Elspeth, you pointed to when we started that, you know, it's something that we still deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That people can be stifled in their lives or artistically because of various traits. So, mm-hmm. But it is it is sad that that is such a huge part of the life of somebody. Well, anybody, but somebody that was such a genius musically. And contributed so much to music today. And so I feel like, you know, if he didn't feel this social pressure... And this repression and like threat of like ruin to those he loved, like would how long would he have lived and what else would he have produced, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so I feel like we should listen. Symphony number four, second, second movement, second movement which I think is so incredibly beautiful. That's quite beautiful. And also, I don't know if it's just because of what we've been talking about, but I feel like you get just the sad yeah. feelings mm-hmm. in listening to it. All the feels. Yeah. So that's the the general, that's the gist of the life of Tchaikovsky. If you're not familiar with a lot of his music, I feel like you really can't go wrong listening to Eugene Onegin, mm-hmm. listening to all of his symphonies. He wrote some beautiful, like, voice settings for folk songs with piano. Um, The ballets, of course. He wrote a ton of ballet music that's super popular today. So, yeah. I think we should um, 
What should we end with? Should we end with some Romeo and Juliet balcony scene? Should we end with some of that really beautiful stuff from the end of the Nutcracker? Oh. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, that was yeah, accurate. yeah, yeah, that was yeah. That was. that was good. I think we should have it. You've set it up so well. Oh, thank you, man. So we'll play out to the end of the Nutcracker. But in the meantime, I'm Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And this is Opera After Dark. Be sure to find us on uh, on social media. Yeah, and, and uh, join us next week when we'll be talking about something maybe a little bit lighter. <laughs> Much yeah. lighter. Thank you. Oh, I wanted to, I had this really good idea for the intro for the chike. You know the piano concerto? Like chike? Yeah. It sounds like a racial slur. <laughs> That's what a lot the of the musicologists call it, like chike five or chike ten. Really? Yeah. Chike. Are we recording right now? Yeah. Because that does sound like a racial slur. <laughs> it is chike. not intended oh, as chike. <laughs> chike. Well, it, it just sounds like something that a it, racial slur. It sounds and like something that it rhymes slur. with that I would not want to say right. in a public arena. Chike. Oh. Actually, I wouldn't want to say it in a private arena, come to think of it. But. Chike five. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people say. People they can't say Tchaikovsky. Chike five. All right, it's fine. It's, just, it's, okay. fun. it's fun. Kind of, so, little, it's kind of fun. Okay. I don't think this wrong. is good. <laughs> this is when Naomi plays. Mm. Always Beethoven. Didn't you see Black Swan? I did. Did it not Although creep it you out? It creeped me out. That's something that I have a really hard time with in movies. Like when the antagonist is also like part of the protagonist, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like a mental thing. That's difficult for me. Do you also really you hate like, unreliable narrators in books? Because you don't actually know if you can trust what's going on. Like in I the Confederacy so. of Dunces and that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm, I'm familiar with that. It's like a literary device called the unreliable narrator. Well, the person who's huh. telling you the story, you can't actually believe that what they're saying oh, is true. Because it turns out later that it's not. Does that make you anxious? Right? Yes. <laughs> anxious. That sounds scary. It's <laughs> like, a literary would, device. Why would the narrator lie to me? Reasons oh, that you gosh. find out later. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my god, this didn't happen the way that I was told. Hmm. What's real? Well, the cool thing is that everybody mm. listening to that clip just now knows that they're familiar with Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. Everybody's familiar with Tchaikovsky. Everybody knows something. I feel like lonely. everybody knows a little bit of the Nutcracker. Too. Everybody knows the Nutcracker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone recognizes this one. Wait, it's on mute. Hold on. Oh, oh. <laughs> Or this one. What's the name of this movement, Kyle? Is this the dance of the sugar plums? Yeah. Nailed it! (laughs) 
What's the crazy instrument that he uses in this? Some sort of phone, like a something phone. No? Elspeth? I have no idea. The Chalesta. I know it's not that crazy. <laughs> I mean, when you're percussion famous adjacent, come on. It's true. It's true. <laughs> How, what should the inflection be? <laughs> Chai! <laughs> I don't think you should overthink this. Oh, yeah, so. fair enough. Chai! 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 Anybody that was listening is no longer listening. Today is the day that Opera After Dark dies. <laughs> so uncomfortable. I wasn't listening because I was looking up cholera. What did you just cover? You just talked just about the, the, the fast the five. five. Okay, great. Right. What are they actually? The mighty five? The mighty, the mighty five. five. The mighty, mighty handful. handful. Mighty handful. Is that because they were difficult to be around? Because there are five of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs>